Welcome to the Design Leaders Podcast. I speak with candidates every day looking to grow in the world of design, development, and construction. I also speak with market leaders at the peak of their career who regularly talk about mentorship and helping the next crop of leaders in their development. How can we help professionals reach their goals in a small but ever-growing industry? Each episode, I want to provide a great opportunity for professionals of all levels to learn from market and thought leaders about avenues for development, areas to focus, how to speak about their project experience, and over time help guide other professionals in their longer-term goals and motivations. This morning, I'm here with Ken Mower, President of Hera Lab Planners and Principal of Crime Lab Design. When thinking about who to invite as an industry and market thought leader in lab planning and design, I knew Ken needed to be my first guest. Having spent a decade with HOK as a lab planner, Ken was the first employee of Hera Laboratory Planners back in 1997, just a year after it was founded. And now 25 years on, Ken is the president of this specialist lab planning and design firm. Ken, I appreciate you uh, coming on this podcast to kickstart this series. So welcome, Ken. Um, Thank you, Jackie. Appreciate it. I've known Ken for about a year now, so I've got a general understanding of his background, which is dead interesting. But for those of you that don't know Ken, let's jump straight into it. So firstly, Ken, how and why did you get into architecture and design in the first place? Well, Jakey, I have to say, give credit to my parents. Uh, my father was a lifelong farmer, and then he ended up joining the Peace Corps. Uh, he was in the first group to go to South America, where he met my mother, who was a lifelong Catholic, uh, music performer, and school teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, every day as kids growing up, I worked the family farm with my father and brother and uh, my two uncles. And I was the oldest of five. So I had a lot of responsibility to watch out for everybody to make sure everything was okay. My mother um, would have liked me to either become a priest or a doctor. Uh, none of that happened uh, exactly. Uh, after they married uh, in Brazil, they moved back to Illinois and continued working in the family farm where my mother turned her uh, big personality, her uh, Brazilian uh, cultures and personality towards sales. Uh, she, uh, she sold everything to everyone. And whatever she sold, she was the best at reaching the top salesperson in her area. My father continued as a farmer, but he also held a second job as a machinist. And uh, that was with World Color Press. Mm-hmm. Uh, there wasn't anything that he couldn't fix, including family trials and tribulations. In high school, I had uh, a great mentor, Mr. Thompson, who taught me uh, drafting and the early concepts of architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also able to parlay those skills uh, the following summer and work for Mr. Perry, who was a president and the owner of Contemporary Homes. It's a prefab home builder in the town I grew up, Pinckneyville, Illinois. Uh, This uh, kind of a lifelong process of learning with my parents and mentoring that I received in high school kind of led me to architecture where I received my associate's degree from mm-hmm. SIU Carbondale, and then a Bachelor's of Science in Applied Technology, and some graduate work that I did at the Paris American Academy in Paris, France. And then, as you mentioned, my first 10 years of getting out of school was with HOK in the Science and Technology Department, where I had the chance to work with terrific architects, lab planners, and made some great friends. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Then I was hired as the first employee by Janet and Lori, uh, by Janet Bound and Lori Sperling, the founders of Hera Lab Planners. And um, that experience with them and the mentorship that they shared with me of uh, everything from sales to HR to running a practice uh, was invaluable. And then, of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my wife, Jeannie. Uh, her patience as a special ed teacher has given me the ability to travel around the world for Hera uh, while she worked and managed the house and the kids. So um, all those things kind of led me to where I am today. And everybody deserves the credit and that lifelong mentorship from each of them. Interesting. So it goes as far back to Mr. Thompson, Mr. Perry, and, and obviously Mrs. Moa now. Um, yeah. But you alluded to there, you know, you started your career first 10 years in that S&T division with HOK. So having spent, you know, 35 plus years in, in S&T and, and lab design, how do you feel about spending your whole career in this very niche sector of architecture? You know, I love it. Um, there's not a day that doesn't go by that there's new challenges and <clears throat> new hurdles to overcome. Um, and lab planning uh, early in my career, I spent a lot of time in the pharmaceutical industry, animal facilities, compounding rooms, and things like that. Uh, big corporate cultures uh, trying to meet the bottom the bottom line. I spent a lot of time working in academic institutions, uh, universities all across the United States, uh, where they were, you know, trying to find new discoveries in the research, but then also creating uh, little fiefdoms for themselves, you know, trying to get their tenure. Mm -hmm. And uh, most recently, it's been forensic science and helping crime labs and medical examiners facilities all around the world um, and trying to, you know, exonerate the innocent and put away the guilty. So it's, uh, you know, it's been a, a wide, wide range of experiences and uh, lifelong lessons and like I said, you know, every day is a new challenge, something interesting, never been bored, not once. Interesting. Well, you know, challenges and lessons kind of whether it be, you know, Janet or Laurie or, or it's your kind of leadership at HOK. How do you think that they would have described you uh, in the early stages of your career? I think um, I think people would have described me as someone who was eager always looking for another workaround uh, with a problem or a project, a solution. I think they would have described me as a hard worker, really dedicated and loyal. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, uh, you see a lot of candidates that, you know, spend two years here, two years there, two years here, and two years there. Mm -hmm. uh, there's nothing wrong with that, uh, but they don't get a chance to really kind of set and grow their roots mm -hmm. into a culture. I think my first 10 years at, at HOK, I had that opportunity um, to become friends with the architects and the lab planners to um, create some lifelong relationships and and uh, them helping me and me helping them, not just on a project basis, but personal issues as well. Mm -hmm. uh, they were friends. And I think that's important in today's world. And then moving to Hera, and now, you know, celebrating here uh, really soon, 27 years of uh, Hera, uh, the same thing, being in one place for all this time um, and the kind of things that we're doing didn't hinder my experiences, but really helped me uh, create 
uh, a deeper understanding for what the firm could be, what the firm should be. I think they, I think they would have, uh, and I know still talking to Janet and Lori today, I know that um, they, um, they saw something in me that um, was the opportunity for them to also invest their time, energy, and effort into to create a bigger, better Hera. Well, I've got to say from what I've seen, I think that effort that was invested was clearly successful. You know, 27 years later as the president, it's obviously worked out. Um, but, you know, 27 years on, similar sort of, you know, self-reflective question. How, how do you think, you know, your colleagues, your peers, your employees now would describe you as as, as a leader? Let's see. I think uh, people might say that I'm humble, mm -hmm. that um, I'm caring that I have their best interests at heart. I think those would be probably some of the qualities that they might suggest. Mm -hmm. um, I know that the clients that I've worked with, particularly in the forensic industry, you know, over the last 25 years or so, um, you know, I have clients that come up to me and, you know, refer to me as their son um uh all joking you know uh that um that they call with uh questions about their existing facilities mm -hmm. um just being helpful just being there to uh assist uh in any way possible and and i think they would uh well i think they appreciate that for sure mm -hmm. Well, listen, you know, I've spoken with, you know, candidates in the market, you know, lab planners, lab designers, and, and after speaking with you, I've, I've, without, you know, trying to blow too much smoke, I, I think I would tend to agree from what I've heard from from these candidates that, you know, jump on a call with you. Um, but what is something, and it can be any leader in, in your past, but what's something that you learned from a leader in your career that you've taken on board in your leadership and management style now? Well, I think, you know, Anything that that touches you in your career that is a negative, uh, trying trying to find the positive aspect of it and turn it around into a positive. Mm -hmm. So, if people didn't feel like they had the time to listen to an issue or try to solve a problem, um, then I think that trying to find the time to listen to people, to be a good listener to be understanding, to be caring um, would be a takeaway from working with um, past folks, people who had the time to either teach me a particular skill or show me the skill, which is different, right? If someone takes, is the, takes the time and I have the time to be taught, uh, then that could be a lifelong lesson. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're under the gun, and uh, trying to meet a deadline, maybe I just need someone to show me uh, what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, I still use those um, skills today. I had someone also tell me, this was way back when at HOK, to always ask, uh, before you accept an assignment, always ask the W's, the, the what, the why, the where, the when, the who, um, and understand uh, really what your supervisor is asking of you uh, so that you can go uh, and accomplish the task that they're looking to have accomplished. 
Interesting. I'm, I'm going to press you now. Um, I'm sure there's probably going to be one or two out there that you know want their name thrown in. But if you could pick one person from your past, you know that understanding, caring nature who really had a you know crucial impact on you, who's a leader from your past that you know you really respect and 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 why? I think uh, I'm going to say Jeff Strohmeyer. Jeff Strohmeyer uh, uh, is a registered architect. He went to U of I, University of Illinois. Uh, and he was working at HOK when I first started there. Mm-hmm. And um, Jeff's, um, a, a, you know, a big guy. He's a cuddly t- teddy bear of a guy. Uh, but he's also uh, can be demanding and, you know, meeting deadlines and wanting work done and wanting work done a certain way. Jeff today is a vice president at, H- at HOK, St. Louis office. Um, in the science and technology department. And so, yeah, I learned a lot from Jeff. I learned not only the aspects of lab planning, lab design, but also how to work with people uh, in a professional setting, how to um, encourage them, because he always encouraged me. Um, I learned a lot from Jeff. Um, And so, yeah, I'd have to give him a lot of that credit uh, at HOK. Interesting. Well, listen, eventually I'm, I'm hoping he listens to this and I'm, I'm sure he'd be, um, you know, happy to hear the, the, the demanding teddy bear, um, analogy there. Um, you know, moving on from your own development and your own growth and kind of focusing more in, in design specifically, um, you know, Hera works on some really interesting and complex projects, but if you could design or build anything, money being no option whatsoever, what would you design? <laughs> well, you know, uh, wow, when was it? It was probably like uh, 2006, 2007. We were designing uh, with NBBJ a, um, a crime lab for Kuwait. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the time, doing the design, you know, the Kuwaiti uh, oil prices were like $175 a barrel. And, uh, we were designing it like it had no, no limitation, mm-hmm. um, was the first facility that I had designed or been part of, I should say, right. As a lab consultant, that was 750,000 square feet that was going to employ 200 or 2000 people in this building. Um, we had to make accommodations for separate space for rest and for work, uh, honoring the culture, the Muslim culture. We had to create prayer rooms as part of the programmatic space and even bomb shelters uh, because of the area that they were in and things that they had lived in their past. Um, that building is now currently under construction. So with the ups and downs of the oil prices and things like that, uh, it's now back and it's under construction. It's probably another year or so before it's finally completed. Um, but uh, it's pretty impressive. It uh, NBBJ and the design process that they had in place created what looks like a sand dune. Uh, the curvature of the building and the way the air would cut through the sand to shape it is what the envelope of this building looks like. And then of course the challenge of putting 
rectangular laboratory space in this uh, zoomy curvy building was another design challenge, which we did and took and accomplished. So it was, uh, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty cool, pretty amazing uh, project uh, back in the day. Uh, again, that was with Hera and Prime Lab Design uh, doing this project uh, internationally. And, and, and I had the chance then to also make like seven trips back and forth to Kuwait and live there, spend time in their culture and, and um, great people, very grateful uh, for everything that we were doing for them. And hopefully in a year, they'll, they'll be moving into a new facility. Interesting. So, you know, over 15 years in the making and if it's slated to be completed for next year, I bet you're you know, dead excited about that. I'm always interested and you know fascinated to hear the functionality between, you know, functional space and, and kind of adding that extra flair, you know, the, you know, hearing about it being designed as a, as a sand dune, you know, really interesting. Um, you know, what is something along those lines, something in your career that you don't tend to get to talk about a lot, um, but, you know, you are really proud of? I think what I'm really proud of, um, and you're right, I don't get to talk a lot about this maybe once a year <clears throat> at the um, at, an, at an anniversary dinner that we would have for Hera folks. Uh, we do that yearly. Uh, we do it um, uh, regardless. We did it during COVID. We did it virtually. We've done it in person. And this last year, uh, we had the chance to take everybody who could come uh, 22 employees to Cancun, Mexico, mm -hmm. and then we invited their plus ones to come as well. And it was a great time. And it's just a way to pay tribute and to recognize the successes of the employees, the staff, the heretics, as we sometimes call them. Mm -hmm. uh, they, uh, and and not just in the trip, but then we have a, a dinner and a celebration and we call everybody out uh, individually. Uh, we identify their uh, successes that they've had throughout the years. Uh, and then there's uh, the possibility for additional promotions at that time, recognizing people who have passed the architectural exam uh, during the year, things like that. Um, all the successes that everyone brings to the company. And, and I think that's key because if they weren't successful themselves, then the firm wouldn't be successful. Mm -hmm. um, being able to celebrate those successes, I think, is, is something that, you know, we don't share with the public on a regular basis. <clears throat> we have a newsletter and it identifies when people have been promoted. But every day, someone is making a huge contribution to the firm in one way or the other uh, that is not only beneficial to their own career, but is uh, beneficial to the firm. And so, you know, having the opportunity to celebrate um, everyone is just, uh, it's really special. Isn't it sounds that, you know, taking that whole firm to um, to Cancun, I think, you know, when, when this does go out and, and a few candidates out there hear about that, I've, I've got a feeling you might get a few applications after hearing about that trip. Um, but what's something now that your team is working on that you find particularly impressive, particularly noteworthy? And it could be with Crime Lab Design, it could be with Hera, a combination of the two, but something that the team's working on right now. 
Well, honestly, I think there's probably a handful of things, um, you know, within Hera and besides just managing the work schedule and getting the work done, which is great. Again, the firm continues to grow every year, uh, not just in headcount, but in financial revenue. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, it's the committee work that we're doing. Uh, we have a committee that is currently rewriting our HR policies and handbook. We have a committee that's doing the design initiative that's working on publications and finding uh, projects that are noteworthy that we need to submit for award competitions. Uh, we have a committee that focuses on technology. What are the newest trends and tools and how can we best utilize them to help our clients understand what they're getting? A committee that's working on benchmarking and post-occupancy evaluations um, that are taking data from other projects and creating kind of the, uh, a HERA roadmap or a guideline for uh, designing facilities um, that are doing post-occupancy evaluations to better learn of the, the design accomplishments that we have had uh, and what they like and what they don't like, right? Hearing both the, the good and the bad. Mm -hmm. And so um, I have to give a lot of credit to the associates and the senior associates in the firm, uh, the folks that are directors and uh, managers of particular departments uh, for all their work and, uh, and that they're doing that really is I'm, I'm truly proud of and to pick one would not do it justice yeah interesting i think you know one thing i ask every candidate i speak with that has been in one space for so long is is, is why choose that space and something i often hear is about you know falling into that space or, or having a particular you know interest in, in the complexities and the problem solving of that space but when you first started out you know, what were your goals when you first joined HOK S&T team? What were your goals and, and have you achieved those goals? And I guess, Ken, have they changed over time? Well, I think goals do have to change over time because I do think that, you know, putting small goals in front of you, um, you know, even a goal to uh, just be happy. Um, and what is it that's going to make me happy today? Uh, what what am I going to do that's going to make somebody else happy? I think is uh, I think is important, and those goals always change and evolve. When I was at HOK, I can remember um, being uh, envious of the assignments of some of those big, glorious assignments and projects that were coming through HOK in the late um, late eighties, early nineties. And uh, and being a part of those teams and trying to be a part of those teams and, um, you know, having to continue to learn and understand and develop my own skill set to continue to show others that I understood what was happening, to put yourself in positions where you have to stretch uh, your own comfort zones, um, I think is is important. And so. Uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily a goal of mine to accumulate a million miles on American Airlines, uh, but I did in those first 10 years at HOK. Uh, and, but 
if I hadn't have done that, then I wouldn't have had the chance to work with other architects and engineers and interior designers and structural engineers and and all these people across that company of HOK, which I really admired uh, growing up and then going to architectural school and, you know, trying to work for that particular company and throw my ring, my hat in the ring and then did it, was able to actually get a position there and then succeed and, uh, and lifelong learning and then apply that to Hera. I think, um, you know, that goal uh, was achieved. Getting now at Hera and the new goals of being the president of the company. So that wasn't necessarily a goal of mine uh, that I was scrapping, climbing my way up the ladder. It just, uh, I was just doing my job and, and every day trying to do it the best that I possibly could. And, um, you know, was never in a position where I felt like you know, make me an associate and I'll act like an associate it was always um, accolades that came well after doing uh, what was right and and doing what was good for myself and the company. Um, you know, I think that um, there's there's a lot to be learned there that, you know, having goals are terrific, uh, gives you some focus. Um, but, you know, it's not something that you're broadcasting every day to your supervisor that, you know, hey, one day I want to be president or one day I want to be a principal. It's, mm -hmm. it's putting in the time and the energy and the effort. And then through that work, it's, it's how, you, how one, I believe, achieves their goals. Right. Well, I, I think that, you know, that's not just specific to, you know, architecture and design. I think, you know, candidates across the board, even in recruitment and other industries can probably take that on board as well. So I think um, for those listening, that will probably be, you know, really helpful. I think that might be a tough question, but what, what's a goal that you've had throughout your career that you've not yet achieved and, and maybe even gone through some disappointment at all? But what are you still working on to this point, Ken? You know, um, I don't know. I wish that, um, I wish that I had a better relationship with my two oldest daughters. They were, they were young. Um, well, when they were born, I was young in the business at HOK spending lots of time on the road and lots of time traveling and then had a divorce uh, kids moved away um, and but you know sometimes those things take some time to evolve uh, to uh, ferment uh, to hopefully become better um, some some time has to happen for everybody to grow up, including myself. Um, but I kind of wish that relationship was was better. Um, not to take away from the great relationships that I have today, again, with all my staff, my business partners, Amy and Carlos, but uh, uh, and my wife today and her kids and helping them 
and mentoring them and educating them on um, the rights and the wrongs and uh, my opinion and listening to them and their opinion and and just trying to uh, you know be a better father or be a better stepfather, uh, be a better person, better husband, um, and then I think that would that also makes for a, a better employee uh, and hopefully a better president with her. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that with me, Ken. I know that's not necessarily a professional focus, but I appreciate you sharing that insight there. I think, you know, for those listening, Ken is arguably the most travelled man in the industry. Locking locking him down for today's uh, today's podcast and today's meeting was 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 a struggle, but we we managed to get him. And it sounds like travel has been a feature throughout your career you've obviously alluded to kuwait and i know you, i think you went to nepal a few months ago where's somewhere you've been it's kind of the, you know the most enjoyable trip that you've made you know again i think they're they all have uh certain aspects there was one trip i did with a colleague of mine lou hartman he and i who kind of started and created crime lab design and uh coming from st louis to new york uh, making our way to um, uh, Kuwait and then from there working on that project in Kuwait for a week, continued around the world to get to Guam and then working in Guam for a week um, and then making our way back to the States. So yeah, two weeks around the world uh, with two different project sites. That was pretty exciting. Um, the the work that we did in Vietnam, um, Vietnam was super nice, super clean. Uh, people were just terrific. And there we, you know, we're working on um, three mitochondrial laboratories for three different agencies to advise them on design solutions and mechanical solutions that would better uh, the work that they were doing for mitochondrial work that was in association with Project 50 which was the United States and Vietnam kind of working together to identify the, the missing, the identify the human remains that they had found in Vietnam. And, you know, for us in the United States and our involvement, I think we're probably somewhere in the low, low 300s or the high 200s of, of individuals that we're still trying to identify from our time there in Vietnam years ago that conflict and then but the Vietnamese and all those indigenous people there um, are still trying to find and identify 1.2 million decedents uh, and every time they build a new road or expand a city and it grows they find another mass grave and mm -hmm. being able to help them um, with the kind of technology I think is is uh, was incredible so you know, traveling to these places, traveling to Egypt and getting to see the pyramids and ride a camel to um, spending weeks in Singapore. Again, just beautiful country, beautiful people, um, uh, incredible food, um, you know, just um, having those opportunities to expand. But then the best thing of all that travel is coming home, right? The best thing is being able to come back to the United States and know the freedoms that we have and what people have sacrificed to get us to this point today, uh, being able to be with family, being able to be with your close and dearest friends, 
um, you know, coming back home is is always the best thing about all this travel. Lovely. Well, recruitment hasn't actually taken me to, you know, those sorts of places, Egypt, Kuwait, Singapore, but it did bring me out to New York. Um, but no, I totally agree. You know, the best part of the, you know, traveling or, or even just holidays and vacation or work trips is is coming home. And I couldn't agree more. Um, Ken, I'm going to ask you a few questions now, kind of some advice for industry professionals. Um, you know, I've spoken with a lot of people in the past and we've discussed error and I feel like, you know, coming from you and a bit of advice from you would be helpful for more junior professionals in the market. But when you're looking at a resume, Ken, what do you want to see uh, from a top quality candidate who's focused in lab design and lab planning? What do you want to see on that resume? I think that um, if I'm looking for a candidate that's in the entry level or junior level of lab design, I'm looking for someone who has uh, a great understanding of how architecture comes together. How do I document it? What are the processes involved? Um, you know, what's what's their understanding of you know good architecture, problem solving, where they went to school, uh, their ambitions to become registered in the future, if they're not, uh, the people that they've worked with. You know, having spent a lot of time in this industry and knowing that someone's worked, um, you know, with uh, other experienced lab planners and to what degree, I think is always interesting in the early, early in their career. And I say early in their career. So someone with three to seven, eight years, maybe as many as 12 years of experience, it, it definitely takes and, you know, and Janet had believed this, Janet Baum, the founding uh, partner of Hera, she believed that it takes, you know, five to seven years to create um, a good lab planner, lab architect, lab designer type person. And so, and I think it's true, it's at least panned out that way for the most part, that once people are exposed to a series of projects and different aspects of those projects and what I'd be looking for again in a candidate or, you know, someone who's been exposed to lots of different things, a good variety of work that for the last seven years, all they haven't done is just drafting or picking up red marks that they've had the opportunity. And, and of course, you know, it's always good to find somebody who's done extracurricular activities uh, and it can be both personal and family, but they could also be at the firm. So any writing, any speaking at conferences, uh, participation that way to um, to show you know the growth of the firm. It's as a consultant, as Hera is a consultant. I think one of the biggest transitions for younger staff is leaving um, a big firm, a prime firm, and coming to a consultant firm where every day a different prime architect you could be working with is asking for something different. Um, different projects, different primes, different construction managers, different engineers. It, it definitely adds variety and spice, um, but it can be challenging in juggling all those um, aspects of the project. So finding somebody who, you know, um, had lifelong challenges, juggling family issues, juggling project issues, other uh, struggles in their own life, um, and accomplished, successfully made it through those struggles, mm -hmm. I think makes for a good candidate. 
for sure at Hera. And then, of course, the other kind of candidate that we're always looking for are people that are seasoned veterans and doing lab planning and lab design, um, you know, uh, taking, bringing on subject matter experts that are just a wealth of knowledge and are willing to mentor younger staff that are willing to make the travel, do the um, do the project, be that client concierge to help them through the design process, the programming process, um, that sort of individual that has 20, 30 years of experience, uh, subject matter expert in their own field, I think is another person that uh, has a lot to give and still has a lot to obtain uh, coming to Hera with our uh, strictly focus, our strict focus on laboratory planning, design, and documentation. So I uh, I look forward to, you know, seeing more candidates from both ends of the spectrum. Mm. For sure. Well, listen, I, I'd love to find tons of those candidates out there. I think, um, you know, there's 20, 20 year veterans, you'll know, I know there's not altogether that many of them. It is a small pool of, uh, you know, niche talent there. Assuming you've seen the resume, you've got the idea from the individual. I think we've, you know, kind of got an idea of also from that explanation there, what it is that you want to hear in an interview as well. But on the other side, what are some mistakes that candidates make in the interview process with you that you can highlight now and you know help them perhaps not make those mistakes in the future? I think, uh, you know, doing interviews either in person or virtually, it's still important to uh, be aware of your body language mm -hmm. and what you're projecting to the, in, the, in view, the interviewer um, from the interviewee. Um, eye contact, I think, is really important. And when and how you use that, um, you know, understanding your surroundings, right? If you're doing something virtual, uh, what's the background? Um, what's it say about me? What's it, uh, what's it saying to those who are doing the interviewing? Um, I think that if you're if you're passionate about what you do, that passion will come through. It, you don't have to force it. Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, trying to get yourself as comfortable as you can before the interview. Uh, if you're nervous, then quite honestly, tell me that you're nervous. Um, I'd rather know that, <laughs> I'd rather know that you're nervous uh, during the interview than watching you kind of dart around and, and shake and, and, you know, come up with my own story, right? You never want anybody to develop their own story about you. Uh, so telling them your story, telling them uh, in, you know, in, in any way that you can and answering the questions and, um, or just taking a moment to let them know that, uh, you know, that you're, that you're dealing with something, um, that you've been dealing with forever, be it a health issue, um, be it something personal, um, that, you know, rescheduling is perfectly fine. Uh, if it's not the right, if, if it's not the right moment for you that you're really going to shine, then let's find the moment. Because honestly, when we're hiring somebody, we want, we're hiring them to be successful. I want to create the right kind of environment 
uh, for them to be successful. And if, um, if you don't think you can be successful at Hera or um, then, you know, it's not the right match, but my, my goal is to hire people so that they personally can be successful. If they're with us for three years, if they're with us for 30 years, um, a lot of that personal success and what keeps them happy and keeps them coming to work every day, I think is important. But if it's, you know, if they've lived their life at Herod and it's time for them to move on, then, you know, there's no, there's no love lost. Um, um, wish them the best. And who knows, maybe one day after they gain more experience, they'll come back. Um, but if not, that's okay. I mean, we've had, what's the last count? Something like 128 people come through Hera in the last, you know, in the 20s, almost 27 years of being Hera. And those people have moved on to other bit practices, HDR, Smith Group, different places, Jacobs. Um, they're successful. They're doing a great job. And I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I think that's fine. Uh, I hope that their time at Hera, what they learned and what they're able to share with their, with their new clients and their new organization makes for a better industry worldwide, uh, better architects, better leaders, better designers, um, so that the work that we do helps the industry of science and technology, that broad, broad industry, really reach a new echelon of service to its community, to its world, to the world, um, to solve the biggest problems. Those things are happening in the laboratories that that we create. I think that focus on individual success probably has something to do with your, you know, brand reputation in the market. You know, it is a very strong reputation in the market amongst candidates out there. And I think that focus on individual success probably has a big factor to do with that. Um, in the future, you know, let's, let's start off kind of the next three to five years, and then I'm going to ask you for your, uh, your your expectation for you know decades in the future. But over the next three to five years, how do you think we will start to see this industry changing? And if you don't feel like that timeline is long enough, I'll give you a longer timeline to give me your your thoughts and your expectations on how the industry will change. I think in the last, you know, in the last couple of years, and with the pandemic. It's really forced us to think differently about the um, facilities that we create and how those facilities need to respond to the occupants in those facilities, as well as the community at large and the kind of um, issues that everyone is dealing with. And so architecturally uh, at the AIA organization of, you know, reducing the carbon footprint, mm -hmm. I think that's that's incredible. That's great. We're probably going to see lots of changes with with building materials, uh, 3D printing, uh, building systems uh, that are really going to change um, the way that we currently design facilities. And some of that's happening. Uh, bigger changes to come, right? I think that um, um, this virtual environment that we're living in uh, you know, be it the multiverse or the metaverse and and that kind of connectivity to people, uh, connectivity to information, I think is uh, going to have a huge impact on the way that we work, uh, the way that we communicate, 
uh, with folks, uh, the way that we design, um, you know, things are, things have the ability with technology to be done faster, uh, more accurate, introducing AI into this uh, arena, I think is uh, also uh, happening. And, and even on the artistic side of things uh, with architecture, as well as the scientific side of architecture, um, we're going to see some some big advancements here quickly. Um, I think that um, you know it's exciting. It really is. It's exciting uh, to be a part of where we are today. It must have been exciting, you know, thirty years ago uh, when uh, technology and things were changing and the industry was changing. It must have been exciting a hundred years ago. Um, when they were dealing with their um, issues and even you know um, the St. Louis uh, uh, flu and its pandemic you know a, a few more years than a hundred but you know things like that that uh, cause everyone to stop and take a look and make an account and try to find a quick solution to fix it. Uh, I think in the future water is going to be a bigger issue for everybody, just fresh water, drinking water, and having access to that water. Um, our space exploration, um, you know, with NASA and things and reusable rockets, you know, just so much of that that is changing that we as architects, engineers, contractors have a hand in in helping propel those industries uh, ahead of their time. So that, um, you know, bigger things to come uh, for this industry and this planet that we live on. Isn't those just some great goals? And, you know, if you're taking them with her as well, I can I can I can hear the excitement. I can imagine there's an excitement amongst the the employees as well. And um, but on the topic of Hera, um, you know, I do speak about Hera with candidates in the market, but coming from you as, as the president, is there anything in particular, since this will be going out to a, a fair few thousand candidates in the market, is there anything in particular you'd like to touch on in regards to Hera, um, you know, when those candidates hear about this podcast? Well, I think that um, what Hera is looking for in candidates are people that are um, self-reliant, people that have a passion for what they do that have a continued um, a goal of learning uh, that, you know, every day I'm willing to learn something new and what can I do to, to understand it. Um, we're looking for people that, you know, we can call friends, uh, people that we can call teammates uh, looking for, um, you know, lifelong relationships with these candidates, uh, people that, uh, you know, are problem solvers, that um, no challenge is too big, and what can I do to help? I think that, um, and I think that, too, says a lot about Hera, that Hera feels the projects that we chase the jobs that we're assigned to, part of that problem statement is what can we do to help? What can we do to alleviate what's keeping you up at night? What can we do to 
uh, ease your concerns about this project. Um, and then find ways to alleviate their concerns. I think we do that on a regular basis and we continue to do that. And I think that, you know, is just another one of those um, uh, gold nuggets that really identify who what Hera is and, and what Hera is doing. Great. Well, if people do want to learn more besides speaking with me, I'd encourage you all to follow Ken on LinkedIn, check out the Hera website and, and take a look at some of their projects. Because, you know, as, as someone who's not an architect or not a, a lab planner, I still find them you know incredibly interesting. So I'm sure you guys out there who are architects and are lab planners uh, will find it even more so. Listen, can we, you know, we've been through, you know, your development design, we've been through your goals and, and some industry advice as well. I really appreciate you, um, you know, giving your thoughts and, and giving your insight here. There's going to be a couple of thousands of candidates out there that also appreciate all of that too. So we're going to finish up here. Um, and as, you know, the first um, guest on, on the Design Leaders podcast, I can't, you know, give my appreciation enough. And thank you for taking the time to speak today. Really appreciate it, Ken. Thank you for listening to the Design Leaders podcast on leadership in design and architecture. I hope you found it informative and inspiring. Remember, great leaders are not born. They're made through hard work, dedication, and a willingness to learn and grow. I encourage you to develop your leadership skills and apply them in your own design and architecture practice. Stay tuned for more episodes. And until next time, keep leading with passion and purpose.